Everybody and ep- welcome to episode 401 of the Saturn Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, choosing not to retake this intro, and I'm joined this week by my co-host, Jake. Hello, y'all. It's chilly in my basement. That's why I'm wearing the beanie edition of this podcast. I'm also in my, my very plush bathrobe, yeah. which is dark green, but on the webcam looks blue. Yeah, <laughs> button up this weekend, everybody. The weather is getting... A little chilly across. It's actually really warm, uh, unseasonably warm uh, in upstate New York right now. It's fifty-one. Did like did the in the middle of January? Did like the cold snap dodge you guys? Oh no, we it got cold last week and we got hit with about six inches of snow. But like later in the week, it warmed up to be forty-five and rained, and now all the snow is gone. Oh, maybe it's next week that it's supposed <laughs> to get really cold. Next week's going to be very yeah, cold. It's like, yeah, it's 55 um, here, but um, I just figured because, like, the uh, Chiefs game is going to be, like, zero. <laughs> you know? It's working its uh, way. Working its way east. So maybe they're just getting it. They're just getting it first, and then it'll hit us early next week. So, yeah, Miami, it's going to be zero, so Miami is going to look even more fraudulent than they have looked over the last six weeks of the season. Man. The Chiefs. That was an epic, epic gamer move by pulling out the uh, the weather control superpower for that <laughs> one. Uh, you know, Miami's been accused of it in the past by just having the sun exist, um, but now the Chiefs are like, "Ooh, let's get our uh, let's get Captain Planet to control the weather pattern for this game." <laughs> not like they're used to it, though. I mean, I don't. How cold does it normally get there? Um, that's pretty cold yeah. for Kansas City. Usually, I mean, it gets chilly there. I don't think I've ever been out there in like the winter, winter, but I've been out there in the late fall, and it's like forty. Yeah. I mean, I but I don't think they're. I mean, the the difference between like forty and like zero is. I it's think it's pretty shock big, yeah. Any player, especially <laughs> like I I I have been known to wear, not even wear a sweatshirt when it's forty yeah. degrees out. Uh, but you best believe I'm muddled up once it gets below like 20. <laughs> oh, so like unpopular opinion. Everybody like says like, oh, the, 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 the cold, the weather that gives like uh, such an advantage. But I feel like it doesn't really give that much of an advantage because players are from like all over the place since so many like college. Like, so how many professionals yeah, are like but from southern colleges? But you're uh, well, a lot of yeah, them actually. I know because like <laughs> that's where like a lot of like the football like kind of like grooming. Power, the yeah, the SEC, yeah, in the South. Um, yeah, I mean it's different. Like your body acclimates to where you are. Okay. Yeah, like a little bit. I I know a lot of people who have moved out uh, to Cal. Well, actually, I'll give a better example. My aunt is from Moscow, and uh, she feels she's lived in Orlando for such a long time now that she thinks it's cold when it gets to be like yeah. 50. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, Floridians definitely. I remember my grandparents, you know, used to live up in New York and then they moved down to Florida and they would be like, oh shit, it's like, it's chilly. It's 70. Let me get my Yeah, shawl. she's like, put a jacket on. You're going to catch your death of cold. I'm like, hey, tomorrow it's, it's 55 degrees outside. I left New York when it was 17 degrees. <laughs> I'm sweating. <laughs> uh, man. Well, 
just like the cold, we are coming at you live <laughs> from Trey Watch, directly from Trey Watch. Since Peter's not here, we gotta we gotta evolve some yeah. things a little bit. P- P- Peter is uh, Peter is the reason the show is as long as it is. <laughs> so he's the one who like jumps in with all the crazy non sequiturs. When I'm around, I I kind of known Peter long enough to know how to navigate back onto track. When it's just Peter and Jake he, off the he rails knows immediately. How to get me on a tangent, dude. He will he will bring up like the most random topic, and then I will be like, no no, let's investigate, let's do a deep dive and cite our sources. Um, on like let's the, go through some peer review the here the origin of the word orange like <laughs> we're, we're we're waiting for uh waiting for the clinical trials to come back yeah he's doing some on the ground reporting um so we'll upload that segment later on on the ground reporting from hollywood we sent him out there we wanted to get him into the writer studio see how things are going and um you know, we're gonna maybe infiltrate the uh, the production studios and try to. We're gonna take over Hollywood. Is is what the plan is. Yeah, uh, we're gonna control all movies, and uh, Brendan Fraser is gonna be in every movie mo- going forward. He's gonna slip and, our movie uh, idea on the top of the pile, so they they grab from it first. So. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> exactly. He didn't tell us. He he said it's gonna be a surprise. It's gonna yeah. be a surprise. I'm I'm bad I'm bad at duck duck goose. It's gotta be duck duck. We had duck Chat goose. GPT generate the script last night, and uh, you know we're gonna send it. <laughs> yeah, the treatment the treatment's been done on on like six of them, but uh, I feel like we've we've developed duck duck goose as a concept the most. Mm-hmm. And you gotta know once once we float that the Blumhouse, they're gonna be like, yes, that is the next most ridiculous thing we can make a movie about. <laughs> I mean, you know what? It probably has uh, a good chance of making it after uh, what we've seen in the trailer lineup for this week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's horror palooza, but um, <laughs> these aren't exactly what you would call winners. Although we'll start with long legs. Uh, what they're doing with long legs is really interesting. They've put out a series of teasers. It seems like they're doing like one every day, and I have no idea what this movie's about. Um, I I can surmise from reading the synopsis that it's about FBI agent Lee Harker, who is assigned to an unsolved serial killer case that takes an unexpected turn, revealing evidence of the occult. Harker discovers a personal connection to the killer and must stop him before he strikes again. Uh, starring Alicia Witt, uh, Micah Monroe, and Nicolas Cage. Oh, Another Cage film. Oh, Nicolas Cage is in this? Yeah, you wouldn't tell because he hasn't shown up in any yeah, of the teasers I yet. But... <laughs> I was really dismissive of this until I heard that Nicolas Cage was in it. Um, yeah, the uh, uh, so the, the of the two teaser trailers, one is about one is forty seven seconds long. Well, more like thirty seconds. One is thirty seconds. The other is, I believe, probably the same. But the content that it yep. like gets nothing like yeah i mean it's in, it, like it, it's it's a teaser done right okay. right like because they don't reveal much of anything but you're like what's going on here and you're, you're i'm curious to know like what's what's going on here and it's like really pretty good like cloverfield-esque viral marketing where it's just um a lot of like 
seemingly unconnected things uh, that are showing yeah, up there. Def- like the one teaser is just a, a family, a picture of a family photo. And there are these symbols that flash onto the screen and they flash on at the end of both teasers. So um, some sort of coded message probably. So get, get, gives off a little bit of a Zodiac killer vibe. Um, I am interested to see if this movie is going to be like more of a horror thriller or if it's going to be something kind of more akin to Seven or Zodiac or even Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, definitely a return to uh, form of like um, what you would think would be a horror movie. I mean, we don't even know if it's technically like a horror movie or if it's a mystery. I From the first trailer, because um, I didn't see that there was a second teaser. The first teaser, the, or at least the more recent one, when they were like peeling back a um, uh, like a floorboard that had a cross on it, and they they bring out like a box of some sort that's there. Um, it almost looks like it's like somebody buried a an animal, a, like a pet or something like that there. <clears throat> and there's a note on top. So I thought, okay, maybe this is like something haunted, something cursed. You know, is that what this is going to be about? And then it just stops and it flashes of symbols. Um, but yeah, it definitely. If, if that's the the synopsis, like more serial killer stuff. Uh, yeah, the fir- the first trailer kind of uh, first teaser does a better job. It's a it's a it's a photo of a family, and it keeps like zooming in on the girl, and then it cuts to a second photo of uh, like a young girl's legs. Uh, of of a body that's like yeah. partially covered with a sheet, so the implication is that she was one of the murdered. The murdered. Yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. definitely like it, this is the type of photo you would see on um, like Dateline, where like they yeah. they flash the, yeah. the 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 picturesque happy family, and then <laughs> they followed up with, and she was murdered. <laughs> and they found semen in the ear canal. <laughs> the what? <laughs> Um, IMDb has it tagged as a horror thriller. Um, it's been rated by the MPAR for bloody violence, disturbing images in some language, notably not sexual content. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the name long legs is interesting. I assume that's going to be like the handle for the serial killer. I thought it was about spiders when I first saw the title. <laughs> I was so I was like, I don't want to click on this. I don't want to click. Very pleased to see that it's not about spiders. Pleasantly surprised it was just a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> um, in other, I guess, like I would, I would consider in the category like viral marketing. Um, was a uh, another trailer for Imaginary. We've already gone over this, like the premise of the movie, but this ad, I uh, ad trailer, whatever for Imaginary, was kind of neat because it was like reminiscent of old you know, um, ads that you see on TV when they're selling, uh, stuffed animal and they're like saying this and, but it's got that horror twist on it where it says it can shrink and grow and it can think. And it's like, it has a, a twisted element to it to where it's, uh, you know, this, this is the, the, the murder bear that's gonna <laughs> kill your whole family. So, um, I thought it was cool. Um, they have clips from the, the movie, interspliced within it and then you can text imaginary to a hotline uh to get more but it was i don't know it was cool it was unique 
Um, but there yeah. was wasn't much to it. We've already gone over Medlar. Yeah, it's it's there. It's a rehash of a concept that didn't work like a decade ago, and so they're trying it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is I'm less excited for long legs. I'm excited for so marketing one hundred and one. <laughs> this is how you do it. You just gotta cast Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, that's, just gotta get Nicolas That's all Cage the marketing you need. Um, moving on to the next uh, somewhat uninspired horror movie, we've got Abigail. Um, it's uh, it's a little girl who turns into a vampire, and uh, her the the teens at this mansion have to have to survive the night and Giancarlo Esposito is also there <laughs> and he seems like he was the uh, he always is he's so typecast as like the villain because he seems like the guy who um brought everyone there to seemingly watch over this girl babysit her protect her I don't know yeah so uh, let's read the synopsis here because I did not get this at all from the trailer, but I also wasn't paying too close attention. Uh, after a group of would-be criminals kidnapped the 12-year-old ballerina daughter of a powerful underworld figure, all they have to do to collect a $50 million ransom is watch the girl overnight in an isolated mansion. The captors start to dwindle one by one as they discover their mount- to their mounting horror that they're locked inside with no normal little girl. And as as we discussed, it's a vampire. Um, it's got a lot of like the new generation scream queens in it that have been in like movies like Freaky and uh, you know Happy Death Day, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's funny they they mention it's from the same people that did Ready or Not. I think it's filmed on the same fucking set as that movie. It, you know it what? Lo- it <laughs> looks the fucking same. It actually same. does. I didn't I didn't pick up on that. And then now that you say that, um, yeah, holy fuck, I feel like this is. <laughs> I, I would not be surprised if it were. I mean, Ready or Not was the you know, go hunt. I mean, unless that's on purpose. Yeah, also, vampires. Yeah. Oh shit. This is totally connected. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty interesting, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, actually, let's ready or not. Very, very weird premise. I mean, uh, this is definitely. I don't know. It seems really cheesy. Um, yeah, like the it it does the Megan thing yeah. where they. They make the the hor- horrifying monster do silly dances, like, and I get she's a ballerina, yeah. but uh, still, yeah, it, it doesn't it make seems it any like they less. Saw, um, saw Megan, and everybody was doing the dance from Megan, and they were like, "Oh, we could do that. We could do a version of that, but make it a vampire and like give her witty lines to say to people, um, you know, <laughs> sorry, I have to kill you and all that shit." And this is a weird it's it's kinda like the, the don't breathe problem, um, as I've I've now just now dubbed it, uh, where you're the people who are being victimized here are not people that you're like really expected the root for because they're criminals. They've kidnapped a girl, they're trying to ransom her off. Like I don't know how how much 
I feel like horror kind of needs you to have some level of empathy and care for the characters. So you're invested in whether or not they survive. But these people are kind of getting what they deserve. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just it's just weird. And Don't Breathe had the same problem where they break into this guy's house and then he like fucking murders them and you're like, well, damn straight. You broke into his fucking house. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, the thing is when, when you have people who you're rooting for wanting to live, you got to kind of make them redeemable and sympathetic so you are rooting for them. But when you make everybody assholes and... Yeah, you have to be able to relate to the character in any story, but especially in a horror movie, because like a lot of the terror revolves around you having empathy for people. That's the difference between uh, like a home invasion horror movie and like an action movie. So like a movie like, um, I don't know a good home invasion horror movie, but like that versus something like Die Hard. If you strip it, if you strip away all the like set dressing and, and whatnot, at, at the concept, it's a very similar thing, but because you are invested in the protagonist, um, and the protagonist has more agency typically in an action movie, um, you know, you need to have that where I completely lost my ability to communicate this concept. But I think the general gist of it is just you need to be able to to relate and identify with a character. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it, it doesn't really work as a horror movie. It's just kind of more like a action thriller. Yeah, I'm trying to go through the Ready or Not set and see if it's how similar it is. And it's, uh, you definitely could see it. There's, there's a lot more set dressing on like Ready or Not, so it's hard to hard to tell. Like there was all the hunting aspects to it. Yeah. Um, and I actually think um, you're thinking of the invitation. Well, that's another one that was kind of the same. These, these, sort I don't of think these thing. guys were vampires. They were just like hunters. Okay, yeah. Well, but damn, I may, maybe it is connected. I I want to believe that it's connected in some way because it's because they're using the same same set, at least similar set, and it's kind of a. I don't know. It's somewhat of a even if they weren't vampires and ready or not, it's a similar enough yeah. premise. All right, so that's that's Abigail, um, and now possibly the dumbest trailer. <laughs> <laughs> the most I have to nitpick about, um, no way up, more like no way in fucking hell. Um, it's just... Am I getting on? This is brought to you by Spirit Airlines. Because this fucking plane was made out of paper mache and toothpicks. It fucking blows apart super easily. So you're like, okay, it's a plane crash movie. Um, that's That hasn't been done in a while. But <laughs> it's actually secretly a shark movie. Because <laughs> the plane crashes, lands in the... So uh, actually, I feel like we need to to kind of recap it, right? So guy looks out the window, um, sees some birds flying into the engine. Okay, that's fine. Engine kind of is is looking pretty rough. And then like a a tiny, tiny piece 
of metal flies off the engine and just completely <laughs> destroys the fucking fuselage. <laughs> and, you know, everyone gets, a lot of people get sucked out of the plane. Yeah. Uh, more people presumably drown when it crashes the water, but the bodies don't float up. The bodies just aren't there because we have to, we have to make it nice and clean because we can only fit so many people in the back of the plane, right? So we can only have so many characters survive. Um, and of course, a shark shows up because fucking why not? <laughs> it is from the producers of 47 Meters Down. which So you know it's going to be good. Well, I thought that was a that was like a surprisingly good shark movie. Or am I thinking of something different? I, I don't remember 47 Meters Down being super well received, but I'm not... Uh, was it? Maybe it was. Oh, maybe I'm thinking Not of the one who was where she was like stranded on the rock. Uh, I forgot what shark movie that was about. This just oh the 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 one where they're at the atoll. Yeah, uh, um, I'm not sure which. It's wild that 2024 we're still making like shark movies. We're still like about it. I I don't know. That well, fucking baffles me. The Meg made made a fair amount of money, I guess. Um, yeah, my favorite part of this trailer is there's a scene where they're like. Do we swim out the whole house? Do we get out the plane? And you can clearly see the emergency exit behind them. <laughs> also, somehow the entire plane, despite being like at the bottom of the ocean, is not filled with water. Yeah, I. There's a little bit of an air pocket, which I guess. No, no, that wouldn't work because there's too much pressure pushing down at the plane at that point. Yeah, I feel like it would still fill up with water, um, unless they. Um, unless they like mention how it's like slowly filling up with water, which it, it might, but I don't, I feel like they're down there for too long and they would like not have enough. Um, oh yeah. Like it's, it's clearly, the plane is clearly partially filled with water, but like the back eight row, rows in the flight attendant area are, are not, they're above the water line somehow. Also, how... Is the is a plane like the back part of the plane is uh, they're obviously saying is waterproof, watertight. That's, yeah, that's a bold claim. There's no no way water's rushing in from the back at all. And no, those seals are tight, baby. <laughs> yeah, this this obviously well manufactured plane. <laughs> we gasket up the plane for just this occasion. <laughs> We put new gases. No, that's going to be the beginning of the movie is, look at this state-of-the-art, brand-new, watertight plane. <laughs> this shit could be a submarine if we wanted it to. <laughs> Foreshadowing. We're living in a James Bond movie. <laughs> Foreshadowing for when the movie, when the plane goes into the water, submerges itself in the water. Um, well, that's well, that's wild. Um, I think it's wild that a shark is just ready <laughs> for this plane. <laughs> like the shark somehow caused this. It coordinated with the birds yeah, to fly into the engine. He said, I need a snack. Birds go. Yeah, and like <laughs> they show a diver like coming to the rescue and like, turn around, there's a shark behind you. Like they wouldn't like have checked for that before yeah. sending a diver down. Like whatever boat they have doesn't have like a, a comm system with sonar a diver or some and sonar, shit like that. Like a fish scanner to like see if there's any issues with the water. Or it won't be known that these are. Uh, this is a potential habitat for a shark, so let's send the camera down to see what we're working with yeah. before we send the person down. But of course, this is a horror movie, so all logic goes out the window. That's just how it works. Um, 
but I don't suspect this movie is going to work. Yeah. Um, but we'll we'll see when it shows up on our next segment, the follow up, which uh, is uh, is happening now and covering weekend one of 2024. Um, and leading the charge once again this week is Wonka, who is uh, on top of a pretty pathetic box office, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's only only 14 million this week for Wonka, which was good enough for first place, down 37.4%. Starting to leave some theaters in its fourth week. Um, it's made 471 million dollars worldwide. Um, so that's that's a, actually that's a lot more money than I thought it'd make, to yeah. be honest. Um, I mean, the, in the marketing budget uh, probably was pretty wild for it um but the movie budget probably is not that much what's the budget for it i could see this costing like 150 million to make pretty easily okay that's pretty close i think we could definitely double that for yeah so like two and a half x is the the general rule of thumb uh for uh budget so that would be uh two three hundred and twenty five million it would have to make to break even. So it's it's clear that. Yeah. Good for Timothy Charlemagne. Um <laughs> Charlemagne. Yeah. He did it. Charlemagne de God. <laughs> he did it. He's also, opening he's also like I think he's fucking like Kendall Jenner. So like <laughs> Okay. Nice. <laughs> or is that age appropriate? I don't know. They're both. He's I think they're enough. both young. Kylie Jenner. Sorry, Kylie. Not Kendall. I don't. I don't I remember don't, which I'm one's not, which. Yeah, I could not pick them out of the lineup. Um, even if you put them in a the lineup with like the Kardashians or someone completely unrelated to them, I don't know. I'd be is able to pick Kylie. Them out of the, lineup. the really rich one. She's like the stupid I, rich one. Or no, no, it's Kendall. Sorry. <laughs> I think they're both pretty rich. Well, no, Kendall was like the first. She was like the youngest billionaire because she started her makeup line or some of that. Oh, all right. Yeah, I think she's like. I'm not. I'm not up on the uh, the teen celebrities these days. Oh shit! She was cited for running through a stop sign with Haley Bieber. Oh, oh that no! Sucks. What a what a degenerate. All right, opening up in second place this week, we have Night Swim, um, $11.7 million. Putting it in second place behind Wonka and also finding itself in our spotlight. And um, when we when we talked about the trailer for Night Swim, we said, you know, this was basically, this movie could have only been birthed out of someone saying, has anyone done a movie about a haunted swimming pool yet? No? All right, let's try that one. Um didn't have a really high expectations for it. Not making a ton of money, but probably not costing a lot of money either. It's getting hammered by critics, though. 5 out of 10 on IMDb, 24% on Rotten Tomatoes with a meta score of 43, which is actually quite a bit higher than I would have expected given uh, some of the other um, scores here. 5.1 user score, so kind of kind of mid. But as you all know, the only place you can really get the scoop on a movie is by going to the IMDb user review section and reading some some sage wisdom from some some real reviewers, 
with the Realist Reviewer traits. And uh, this is a returning reviewer, actually. I didn't even notice the, the name when I picked on it. Uh, but Do Not Come to the Cinema Depressed has another review for us uh, for Night Swim. 10 out of 10. Um, I will attempt. There's a lot of emoji in here, uh, which can be difficult to sort of translate. So I'll do my best. Uh, wave emoji. It was a perfect watch. Love the story, the premise, how it plays, and the resolution. Perfect start to 2024. Uh, Noisemaker uh, emoji, like ball splitting open with confetti emoji. Fire, two fireworks emojis, exclamation mark, wave emoji. All right. Just got out of a screening of Night Swim bikini emoji. <laughs> it was a perfect watch from what I saw. And it also had excellent artistic choices. Perfect start to New Year 2024, exclamation mark. Uh, Noisemaker emoji, confetti ball emoji. Uh, city at night emoji, swimmer emoji. What I loved about the film. Swimmer emoji. One, the backstory of the family. The father's backstory and his family looking for a new home was the perfect backstory for the setting, which the home and pool itself had its own backstory. <laughs> swimmer emoji. Two. The characters. They gave us enough to care about these characters. Parenthetical. For me, anyway. Swimmer emoji three. The different eerie and happier lighting techniques throughout the film were great to see. It set the tones and signs in certain key moments and also at whichever segment of film we were at. <laughs> this is just completely nonsensical. Uh, swimmer emoji. I'm just. They all start with a swimmer emoji. Uh, four. The shots of the pool and blinking light te lights technique of the pool set the tone perfectly for the pool. <laughs> Five, the underwater shots and pans were eerie as hell. For me, myself, the tension was there. The underwater shots and pans had this constant sense of something is there. It was great. Six, there's a certain artistic choice underwater, comma, parenthetical. Call it the other realm, if you will. I liked it. It serves the film well, and there's a certain shot of the pool. There's a certain shot that makes the pool tiny in comparison. Uh, I can't gleam anything from this. Seven. The twist and reveal was excellent in my opinion. Whilst I was watching, I was like, "Wait, how is this demon looking different all the time? Can it morph or something?" And then when the reveal comes to fruition, I thought it was excellent how the filmmakers made it play throughout the film. Overall, it's a perfect film. Excellent writing, great play on the reveal, some tense moments, and great artistic choices. This has got to be like an AI. There's no fucking way a real person wrote that. Uh, two out of nine found that helpful. Gotta, gotta get in contact with the two people <laughs> who found that helpful. I, I need, to, need to hear from them. Need to make sure they're alive and well. So, you know, it's interesting. I was trying to, um, maybe this is this is just a free AI, so maybe you have to pay for a more updated AI. Um, I was trying to have ChatGPT write a one-star review for Night Swim. Uh, <laughs> and since it uh, was last updated January 2022, it doesn't have any specific information. It also wouldn't even allow me to write or... or try to write a one-star review it didn't want to generate negative content oh so interesting uh like well that makes sense so that's a 10-star review then <laughs> yeah um so yeah i don't know maybe maybe somebody put in like a synopsis of it and they were able to generate a 
a 10-star review because it said it, it might be able to write a positive review if it has more information about it. Um, okay, interesting. Cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, let's get to a 1 out of 10 and see what the uh, the real critics are saying about this. Where is the one that I have? Hold on. Let's do this one. Um, by Razlan Harkov. 1 out of 10. Jump scare. Audio stinger. Phil. Generic slop. But this time, there's a pool. Warning spoilers. <laughs> Think of a generic possession horror film or horror movie. But in this one, the main character gets possessed by a cursed swimming pool. The family consists of a dad who played baseball, a mother with no personality, a daughter with no personality, and a son with the personality that he wants to like baseball because his dad likes it. Overuse of audio stingers and awful jump scares, even for a modern horror movie, this movie even includes a generic research the history of the cursed item slash person segment. But this time, it involves a water spring. The amount of time unnecessary music is used to tell you to feel scared, sad, happy, etc. is just obnoxious. I watch, I want to leave the theater genuine potential wasted due to no creativity or actual vision. Nonsensical character choices and reactions as well. 11 out of 20. Found this helpful. Okay. Nice. Um, Film Guy CI 22804 has this to say about the movie. Calls it a 6 out of 10. A decent effort. This isn't a great horror film, but it outranks the majority of PG-13 horror films released over the past few years. A family buys a home with a huge unused pool. Huge! It looks like it belongs at a resort, not a backyard. But I overlooked that and watched as the strange things began to happen. And curiously, the family continues to swim despite this fact. I would have drained that thing within the first half hour. Reminder to anyone playing Marco Polo, you can open your eyes if the person you are playing with seems to have disappeared. The acting is solid, especially by the members of the family. The dad was played by Wyatt Russell, who my friend, tell me, who my friend told me is the son of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. That is true. Oscar nominee Carrie Condon plays the mom. The film creates some tension throughout, and the eventual explanation for what is happening felt fresh compared to the mostly recycled garbage the horror studios feed us. I refuse to see one more exorcism film or Conjuring spinoff. The underwater cinematography was surprisingly good, with the exception of one scene at the end that looked quite fake and had me rolling my eyes. The ending was satisfying without the added annoyance of trying hard to set up a sequel. Worth a look if you're in the mood for a mindless horror flick. Just leave your high expectations at the door before you dive in. 10 out of 13 found that helpful. But fuck that shit. Let's go to more unhinged. Actually, this isn't. I, I already read my most unhinged review. Uh-huh. Uh, but ACI4 um, gave this uh, movie a 8 out of 10. Uh, shockingly, there weren't a lot of highly rated reviews for Night Swim. Uh, I know. My surprise is just as large as yours, I'm sure. Not bad. 9 January 2024. Oh my lord. I can understand and I agree. They can't make movies like before. No discussion about it. But this movie, this movie hooked me. Because I saw, and by pure accident, lol, a scene where the kid is in the pool and the hand comes after him. So as I saw it as it 
old school vibe to it. And that's what made me watch it. I don't understand why people complain so much here about it. It's a good idea. Pretty good acting. Very good videography. I really enjoyed that. All in all, I made I made a the call and I kind of guessed what I saw. So I'm overall happy about it. For example, I liked it way, way more than Halloween Ends. And I love Halloween. The old school, though. One how one found that helpful. Man out here astroturfing his own reviews. <laughs> you know, I was going through some of the... I was I was curious to see if there was any trivia. I'm just, I don't know, curiosity killed the cat. Because um, this sounds like a really great movie. Uh, I'm sure, yeah. You know it's going to be a bad movie when the original version was a four-minute short. They, they did some stretching. Um, oh yeah, I mean that makes sense. Like, there's only about four minutes uh, that this of content that this premise could support. <laughs> yeah, um, we got a one out of ten from Adam Ziedler. Says this is a movie. Prof- Correct. Profound <laughs> words, really profound words. I go to I go to IMDb user reviews for when I need wise sage advice. Adam says. If you want to see a movie, this is certainly one. If you want to see an even remotely good movie, see anything else. Proverbs. Love it. From the book of Adam. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. My favorite book of the Bible, Adam, followed by Steve, <laughs> and then Johnny. <laughs> and who could forget the book of George? <laughs> Jesus dapped up Adam and said, what's up, dog? Tell me about this movie. And he says, it's not scary. <laughs> it doesn't have a coherent plot. No. Jesus came down and said, what up, my ninja? And dapped up Adam. <laughs> I'm my dad. I'm my dad. For real, for real. I'm my own grandpa, for real, for real. Uh, Adam said, it's not scary. It doesn't have a coherent plot, nor are the characters interesting or engaging. The actors try, and that's something. I've seen worse-looking movies, so there's something else. There was one jump scare pretty early on that got everyone in the theater jumping. Holla. <laughs> <laughs> jump like, was joy. it a dancing? <laughs> Raise the loof, man. <laughs> <laughs> we had to come in. See, the scare was that Everlast comes out of the pool and they start playing jump around and then like it's yeah, they thought jumping. it was the Eras tour. They thought this was like a <laughs> I don't know some, some like rock rock of a concert. Um, <laughs> all right, but the few that followed were telegraphed from a mile away, so as to ruin the jump scariness. It wasn't even one of those so bad it's good kind of movies. That would have been okay. It was astoundingly remarkable, unremarkable in every way. The end credits had about six consecutive title cards with the writer slash director's name on them. That made me embarrassed for him at least at first. But then I thought, well, he wanted to make a movie and he did. (laughs) That's a pretty big accomplishment. I mean, I've never made a movie. I like to think that if I did, I could make one as good as this. So in that way, it was inspirational. 
I mean, it inspired me. Clearly, you don't have to have a lot of talent to make movies these days. You know, when my car breaks down, I say, you know, it's got to be pretty hard to to make a car. <laughs> if I made a car, I'd be impressed if it was as good as this one. So I guess I'm not that mad. <laughs> what what a uh, what a cope. Um, speaking of coping, um, we have a little bit of a cope from In Growheel One Eighty One. Night swim five out of ten. Welcome to FU. It's January twenty twenty four. Okay. Well, fuck you. It's January. Lots of periods. <laughs> There were definitely other January horror movies that were worse than this in previous years. Not the worst premise either. A haunted swimming pool. But as other people have said in their reviews, Night Swim feels like a short film. That was purposely stretched into a feature. Okay, hmm. this this guy read the trivia. He had to. He fucking had to. <laughs> this Nostradamus of an IMDb user user. Oh my god, how could he how could he catch that? That's why we go here, because we got the real review. He is so smart. He is Sigma brand. The cast are good. <laughs> Glad to see Carrie Condon still getting work. <laughs> it does have a lot of unintentional comedy in parts. And at the end, it swells the music to make it come off as an Oscar-winning moment. But all it did was make me chuckle. You'll watch it <laughs> and forget it in the span of an hour. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was like, you'll watch it. Yeah, you'll watch it, though. You'll probably watch it, yeah. And that's what makes a movie lose, loose. That's what makes a movie loose points, lose a, lose a point for me. It's got some loose points hanging off it. Longevity, that's what. I want Gotta to, connect those in a spline. <laughs> I want to give it a four, but a five is being generous. One out of two is just on that awful. Wow. You can give it a, f- a four. Yeah, don't be afraid. <laughs> Nobody's gonna come for you. You're allowed. <laughs> no. All right, so that's that's night swim. The directors reading this review would be like, "Oh, fucking thank you, dude." Someone got a gun to your head that says nothing below a five. Nothing below a five. You gotta round um, up. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom uh, trails night swim in its third week. That's that's a big oof right there. Down forty two percent. Already, yike! Uh, Three hundred thirty-nine million worldwide for Aquaman. Migration also flopping pretty hard there. Um, nine point nine nine six, so just a, a little bit under wow. ten mil for the week. Forty-one point two percent drop week on week. Uh, One hundred fifty-four million dollars worldwide. Yikes! That's it's going to be quite the money loser for Universal there. Uh, anyone but you actually saw a rise week on week of 11.4%, interestingly enough. 9.75 for the Thirst Trap rom-com. Um, and that has brought in $63 million worldwide. Migration had a uh, budget of $72 million. It's actually surprisingly low for an animated picture. Yeah, I thought it was going to be But then again... It is illumination, so they'd use the cheapest animators they can. Um, I'm also thinking, uh, I think I think the same thing with uh, with Wonka. I saw this advertised a lot of places, so probably two hundred. Yeah, I mean, the, they fucking we first saw the trailer for Migration like a year ago. Oh yeah, yeah, they were putting it in a lot of places. So 
I mean, if it's again, kids' movies always surprise me. So maybe this has legs. I don't know. Well, yeah, it'll probably make make some decent money in in home video sales yeah. and stuff. I imagine when all's said and done, it'll probably at least break even. Yeah. In reality, of course, it'll never break even because of Hollywood accounting. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, the boys in the boat are always uh, in sixth, apparently, because they're in sixth again this week. Their second week, um, minus 33.5%, yet opening in 130 more theaters. Uh, 36000000 million worldwide, about the crew that went to the 1936 Berlin Games. The Iron Claw, which... Doesn't look like I'm going to get out to see because it's already leading theaters and it was not in wide release. Yeah. Did it, did point, it ever hit like every theater? Uh, no, nah, I think its widest release was under 3,000 wow. theaters. Um, anyway, it brought in $4.52 million, down 2.8% um, for the Von Erich family biopic. $26 million worldwide for that. Not a lot of money, but this is more of a awards kind of movie, yeah. I think. So, probably not the big goal there. Uh, Ferrari uh, slips a spot down into ninth this week, down 37.5%. So, Adam couldn't drive this to box office success. Uh, $2.45 million for a $30 million worldwide. Um, gross. And running at the top 10, up two spots this week in a week box office. <laughs> yeah, the 10th place movie made less than $2 million. That's kind of what we're dealing with here. Uh, down 12.9% is Poor Things, which is only in 750 theaters, uh, yet still was able to find its way into the top 10. You know, I wonder if um, Ferrari won't comparable. Uh, I don't think a lot of these will, but the Poor Things... Might have a resurgence. Poor things and maybe maybe boring the heron, because um, we did just have the awards uh, with the Golden Globes. Ah. Um, I'm I'm not sure. Oh, uh, I think it was the Golden Globes or some of that. Um, and poor things won some stuff. Yes, they did just have the 81st Gold Globes. Uh, Paul Giamatti actually won an award for, for holdovers. the holdovers. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, uh, Paul Giamatti, of course, is in the movie we watched this week. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Which I had forgotten about. Um, yeah, so Poor Things won Best Musical or Comedy. Um, Emma Stone won Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. Cillian Murphy won Actor in a Drama. Oppenheimer won Best Picture or, or Best Drama Motion Picture. Um, Anatomy of a Fall was Best Foreign Language Film and Best Screenplay. Mm-hmm. RDJ won Best Supporting Actor. Oppenheimer won Best Original Score. Um, those are the major yeah. awards. There was uh, some... Some big TV show. There's more uh, like big TV show like stuff like Secession, Bear, and Beef, all won a bunch of awards. They like swept house. Yeah, the Bear. I've heard good things about oh, the yeah. Bear, but I'm just not. It doesn't really interest me. Okay, so the one thing I'll say about the Bear because I, I did watch it. Um, I have never felt. I'm not an anxious person. 
I have never felt more anxious watching a, a show like that. I don't know what it what it was about it. It is shot really, really well, and I think it's written really, really well. Um, it just made me really anxious because there's it's a kitchen, so they do really good at they're really faithful on trying to make it feel like you're in the middle of like lunch hour, like in the kitchen. Man, Jeremy Allen White's having a heck of a year. He's uh, he plays Kerry Von Eric in the Iron Claw, and uh, obviously the Bear won a lot of awards. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 in and he's in a lot of stuff that I didn't realize. Realize like he was in movie forty three, and he's at he's at like a bit in movie forty three, which I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, um, I I've seen. It parts of it's it. Like the I've seen movie. what people called were the best sketches. I didn't watch all of it. So there's there's one with Jeremy Allen White, and he's got like a sex doll, and like <laughs> both of his parents are like they're they're explaining how they're parenting him, and they're like, oh, we wanted to make his uh his first kiss memorable, or we we don't want his first kiss with a girl to be like like shocking. So like we broke that ice with him. So like. <laughs> <laughs> Some really weird fucked up moments with his life. It's. I'm, I'm gonna find the clip and I'll put it in there so you can, you can watch it. And at home, just look up Jeremy Allen White movie forty three. Not the Calvin Klein ad, unless you want to get horny. Uh yeah okay so yeah that's the top tens and a little bit of the Golden Globe news right there. So we'll move now to gaming news, which should be a pretty brief segment this week. I don't think there's too, too much uh, exciting going on there. Uh, But we do have confirmation from CD Projekt Red's narrative director that declaring Cyberpunk 2077 was just a warm-up as work has kicked off on the sequel. So... Um, probably going to see Witcher 4 sometime in 2025, I would guess, and probably Cyberpunk 2078 or whatever they're going to call it yeah. uh, in uh, in uh, 2027 would be my guess. Yeah, it's um, I mean, they could just they could just like keep the same engine, keep everything, really do very little with like the um, the design aspect of it, and just like. I heard they're oh. moving off Red Engine oh, for. Okay. I think they might be going to UE five. I just don't know what's interesting. Easier. Like it, it seems like if it's if they like the engine they're on, they put a lot into it. To yeah, I I that's kind of hearsay. I don't remember if where I heard that from was like a reliable source, but yeah, to to me that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Why you would move off of the Red Engine when. It's clearly capable of making really excellent visuals. Yeah. Uh, I would say probably on par with what you can do with uh, UE5, mm-hmm. but you're already familiar with it, and it's your own internally developed engine. You don't have to license it from Epic. Yeah. So why would you? Why would you switch? Yeah. Because like they could do a lot of stuff with this. I mean, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of lore to explore with uh, Cyberpunk. So. Um, they've got yeah. There's a lot of room to work with. there's a whole lot. If you uh, if you're ever interested, those at home, um, I believe there are PDF copies available on the internet of Mike Pondsmith's 
Cyberpunk 2013 and Cyberpunk 2020, which is kind of quaint considering that we've lived through those years now and they're not at all like uh, like those books. But that's where a lot of the source material comes from and a lot of the quest lines are uh, legitimately entertaining. And one of the best uh, missions in Cyberpunk 2077, uh, Never Fade Away, is lifted directly from the book. Uh, you know, I'm kind of surprised there's not more cyberpunk content out there because I feel like this, at least from this developer, like this specific world, um, like we had the show Edge Runners. It's like that was a that was a banger. Like make more. It was kind of the same thing with Arcane. Like Arcane came out forever ago. I understand animation takes a while, but like. You could be doing. You could be raking in cash. I feel like I like. I like that. Well, it's, it's. I. I'm not sure. There's probably some rights issues mm-hmm. with that. I'm not sure who owns the rights to Cyberpunk. Um, and the rights might be fractured. So one company might own like television rights, and the other company might own rights to distribute games, and the other, uh, to like distribute like tabletop games. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like part of it is that, um, it's one guy's like creative vision that he's built and he might be kind of protective of how it gets used. Um, and the other might just be that it's a relatively unknown property. Like before cyberpunk 2077 trailers dropped i had no idea that there was a cyberpunk tabletop rpg and that there had been two editions of it already (laughs) um but yeah i I feel like there's there's definitely it's a very interesting setting and like it you cannot possibly convince me that there aren't a lot of stories you could mine from night city just in general but um yeah, we'll see. I mean, hey, with the success of Phantom Liberty and as as we get closer to a sequel, I could definitely see uh, some maybe like a I, I hope not another anime because well, Edge Runners did a lot to bring interest into it. I did not think it was a very like well produced show, at least from like a story perspective. Um. But uh, I could definitely see some sort of animated work as kind of like a uh, bridging the gap between the two games thing come yeah. out in between uh, now and then. I mean, but, it would be very cool to see like a live action. Like I, I know a lot of people would probably compare it to like Blade Runner, but it would it would have similarities to Blade Runner. I think it's unique enough from Blade Runner um, to not and Blade Runner for. For all the uh, praise it gets for its world building, it doesn't explore the setting as much as as I would have liked it to. Um, of course, they did make a Blade another Blade Runner movie that I haven't seen yet, so maybe that would change my opinion of it. Um, but I feel like Cyberpunk twenty seven D seven's unique enough, and like all Cyberpunk is going to be somewhat similar, like. It's a very popular genre in Japan, and there's a lot of similarities between stuff like Akira and Ghost in the Shell and uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a new season of League of Legends out, and you say, you might say, 
who the fuck cares? Nobody cares about <laughs> That was what I was thinking, but I didn't say it because I know there are a lot of people in South Korea that care very deeply about it. Oh yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll first start with the, the funny go haha story. Um, so they're along with their new season, they announce a new champion, um, Smolder, one of the dragon. Uh, it's a dragon. Um, I'm going to be playing them. I don't know if it's a boy or girl. I don't know, but I'm going to be playing this champ because it's an ADC. Um, Headline is League of Legends forced to immediately redesign its new dragon champ after fans point out it's alarmingly similar to an actual human child. Uh, what? <laughs> so that got me interested in what this story was about. Yeah. What the apparently, fuck? <laughs> apparently the face, the the design of the face, too smooth. Not not really like a creature like. It was more like a. I feel like they're a little smooth brained. They just like people complain about like a some stuff on the nose and like everything else. I guess the teeth were also a little bit too human-like. They had to make them more pointy, more dragon-like, I guess. Um, and they redesigned it, made added more scales and stuff like that to distinguish them a little bit more. Uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of weird. It kind of got the Sonic treatment because a lot of the fans were complaining about it. Um, and then they actually went back and did a little redesign, but the that's cool. That's coming out, I don't know, eventually. Um, the new season is out right now. Um, the new season sports a redesigned map, um, redesigned objectives uh, in terms of like uh, large creature camps, and they swapped out a lot of new items, swapped out a lot of items. Notably, they only did like a month of testing and balancing and apparently that wasn't enough because there's a lot of shit that's broken with the new season. Um, a lot of really overpowered items. So if you are into League and you would like to play some overpowered champs, uh, go find a build now that's pretty broken and have fun. Or have not fun because... Or don't. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's, it's also a bad situation. <laughs> Yeah, um, there's some AI news. Um, an AI-generated George Carlin special was posted to YouTube, uh, which evoked outrage from his daughter, saying that no machine could ever replicate his genius, which is true. Um, and uh, Microsoft is now the most valuable corporation in the world after its AI boon uh has lifted it to a $2.9 trillion market cap, edging out Apple for that title. Um, but that's only tangentially related to gaming. Uh, more gaming-focused news. Uh, AMD is launching its Any Game uh, AMD Fluid Motion technology officially on January 24th. This is sort of like FSR3, which is out there in open source now. If you have a... Um, there are quite a few FSR3 mods out there. One of them works with any game that supports DLSS3 frame generation, uh, but you do need an RTX graphics card to enable it because it uses the DLSS pipeline. I've played around with it. It's it's interesting. Uh, there's, there's some stuff with frame gen that I don't like. It's not... I wouldn't call it exactly like adding new frames into the game. It feels a bit more like motion smoothing on a television. Um, but since you're already playing at a high refresh rate, 
uh, or higher frame rate, it doesn't have quite the same soap opera effect, but it it does feel a little bit different than just like having a bigger performance. But AMD Fluid Motion is at driver level, so it can be used in any game. Um, and that officially launches out of beta on January 24th. And since I will be uh, in the, the next week here switching over for the first time since 2016 to a Radeon graphics card, I'll try it out and, and see how see how it goes out. Um, yeah, NVIDIA is launching three new graphics cards. This is CES news. This is mm. kind of beginning of the week stuff um they are launching their the 4070 super which has 20 percent more cuda cores than the 4070 um and as launching god i don't remember the prices for the lower stack ones um i want to say that's like 500 4070 super um 4070 super retail no i don't want nvidia's fucking press release okay um 4070 super is launching at 600 dollars, which is still a little bit much for the performance class i think considering you can get a 7800 xt which is much faster for the same price um i still don't think that card makes a lot of sense um the 4070 ti super which yes that is what they are calling it (laughs) is launching um with uh a I believe 799 price tag um and that is supposed to be like 14% faster than a 4070 Ti and lastly the 4080 super is launching at a $1000 price tag which is notable cuz that's $300 from what the 4080 launched at for the faster cards so there's there's some hope that gpu prices in the future might not be as fucking insane as they are right now but uh uh 4080 super should probably only be like five percent faster than the 4080 um it does come with a little bit more actually it has the same vram so it has 16 gigabytes of VRAM for the 4070 Super, uh, 4080 Super. The 4070 Super has 12 gigabytes of VRAM, which is um, enough for right now, but very quick into the future, it's it's going to be not so much. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm upgrading my graphics card, honestly, is because I'm playing at 4K a lot more these days, and the 10 gigabytes of VRAM is just not enough. <laughs> So that's that's some 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 of the news that came out of CES, the stuff that people really care about. I, yeah, I'm um, just scrolling through to see what like piques my interest. I, I saw that somebody, um, I, I think Linus Tech Tips, um, were reviewing it kind of technically. Um, they were, they had a transparent TV. Um, however, they had two dead pixels on it. It was a seventy seventy seven thousand dollar TV, um, that is transparent. It is an TV, but it is bad. They had, yeah, so there was, a few years ago, I think the first gen model of that came out, and it was like a, it was a pretty big display, Mm. and it was only 1080p, 
so you could like physically count the individual pixels yeah uh which is not a great experience especially when you're paying seventy thousand dollars for a gimmick yeah. uh but these aren't these aren't meant to be sold to anyone they're just like proof of concept shit yeah, yeah it's like um it's like samsung's like uh i forgot what, what the size of it was but it was like this massive twenty thousand dollar monitor um and it was insane it's like nobody's putting that in their house it's just not feasible um you know they probably not, they probably don't even make it like that's why it's so expensive if yeah. someone actually wanted it they'd have to like specially make it for them could be i mean at twenty thousand dollars i feel like they're not it's not like they have a production line set up for that (laughs) you're not you're not selling those wholesale you're not selling them a bunch like and and no company no like like big box store would want to hold them you imagine best buy getting their hands on it they're like no we have no place to fucking put it yeah (laughs) um there's also a story about lenovo's solar slash mechanical charging peripherals um and their keyboard is apparently uh, a wind-up charging keyboard. There's a dial on the front of it that you turn to charge it up. And it looks like a volume dial. But apparently that's how, if you fiddle with it and you like, you know, um, like a, it's like a fidget with it, like a fidget spinner kind of thing. But imagine fidgeting with it and then you're actually charging your keyboard as you go. Um, okay, that's so you're actually physically turning the turbine that's draining the electricity. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Can't imagine that it, charges it very efficiently i i am wondering how uh i I don't know if they actually mentioned um like if it does or not like how how fast um oh okay um it gets better or perhaps indeed worse five minutes of spinning apparently equates to just half an hour's worth of charge five minutes of non-stop spinning (laughs) for 30 minutes um it's gonna sell like hotcakes, guys. Yeah, I I mean, hey, the the novelty of it will attract certain people. I'm gonna go get a Dewalt power drill and just make a <laughs> function on that shit. <laughs> I feel like that's. I mean, yes, you'll charge it, but at that point, like, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, no. Then they're gonna send. They're gonna sell like a uh, an automatic spinner for it that you can attach to it. Uh, that's rechargeable. <laughs> um, I guess it's also solar powered, so that's the other thing. Um, I, I guess maybe if you're next to a uh, a window and you do get sunlight, <laughs> I guess it works out. But um, I don't know how common that is. We are we are both in our basement, somewhat somewhat of a basement. I guess I can call this a basement. And um, I I don't get any sunlight in my keyboard, no. <laughs> so. No, I live in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna bring my keyboard upstairs to leave it by the window. I'm just gonna put that in the windowsill <laughs> with the plants. <laughs> yeah. You know, make sure you water and sun your keyboards uh, before you decide to game all night. <laughs> you gotta take care of your hardware, or else it won't take care of you in game. Exactly. All right, I think we can wrap up that segment there, and we can move on to our first review of 90s month, which uh, (laughs) we had a bit of a different selection process this 90s month where Peter just named three films 
and neither of us felt strongly enough to push back on them. So we're just, we're doing them, I guess. Um, and first of that is Saving Private Ryan, the 1998 uh, historical drama um, starring Tom Hanks and Matt Damon. Um, this is a movie I think I first saw in eighth grade. We needed to get a permission slip because it is an R-rated movie. <laughs> Um, and it stuck with me the entire time. Um, for my money, I think pound for pound, this is the, the best war movie ever made. Um, I think it does the best job of being a very layered emotional story, um, while maintaining a good historical accuracy. Um, there aren't really any anachronistic things. Um, everything's very believable, um, very memorable characters, um, for both good and bad reasons, um, really shows the horror of war in a way that few films have since. Um, I have not seen Dunkirk and I'm a big Nolan guy, so, um, that might challenge this. I think the, the next best war movie after this, I think is 1917. And it, a lot of that is owed to the very unique cinematography. Um, but I think they got the idea for really long single tracking shots from this movie, because this movie has quite a few of those in it, uh, where it's the camera falling around the actors for a very long time. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, it's... I'm not sure where to where to dig into this, but um, um, I mean, I, I think the notable part about this movie was like kind of the opening. Um, like you had mentioned it when you texted us. Um, yeah, very famously, um, I believe they actually had invited some. Now, and maybe this wasn't the best idea, but I've got, they yeah, I've got the trivia open. Too. They had invited some some D-Day survivors to the premiere and many of them had to leave the theater. It was, oh, it was God. triggering to their PTSD. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's awful. Um, that's, uh, I was going to say, um, cause the Omaha beach scene, that cost $11 million to shoot involved a thousand extras. Some of whom were members of the Irish army reserve of those 20 to 30 of them were amputees. Um, and played the soldiers that had like limbs blown off. There are some fucking brutal, yeah. So they <laughs> dismemberments they went, in that scene. They went all out in showing how gruesome and how devastating that like raid on the beach was. Um, and they they covered all all the topics and all the bases. And I'm sure some historian went out and like kind of investigated, or or maybe the military did just to like investigate, like how how did some soldiers die, and it was all over the place. I mean, some were shot in the boat, like when they were just opening up the doors. Some were shot in the water. Some drowned. Some drowned in the water, yeah. Um, and that's even before getting to the beach, the beachhead. It's before uh, the machine guns fire started. Yeah. Um, you know, then then there's there's so many there's so many small little nuances that they paid attention to. Spielberg. I mean, we're talking about a Spielberg movie, so. It makes sense that he would, you know, they're, they're getting to the water. It's, um, their, their gear is weighing them down. So they're trying to get off their gear or trying to get off their life preservers or whatever they're trying to do. Some can't some it's, it's, it's too difficult while they're getting like 
hailed with bullets from above. Um, they have to like reapproach how to get out of the boats because if they just go out the front, they're going to get shot up or they can't get out because there's bodies in front of them. Um, so they're going over the side, they're splashing the water. Then the water is just so saturated with blood. It's it, the tide is turning red, which was a My, really, yeah, that was powerful really, image, <laughs> um, like powerful image right there. Um, and then you had a lot of like the audio cues of like tunnel vision. And the one that like the shell shock, yeah, the shell shock, on. yeah. The one that sticks with me the most is there's a a guy that's on the beach and his his intestines are outside of his body. And he's sitting there, like, crying out for his mom. I still see that when I close my eyes sometimes. And I had not seen this movie in, like, a decade well, it's <laughs> before powerful. last night. And you got to imagine, you know, how many of these people are, how many of these They're soldiers? They're kids. They're, like, 18, 19, yeah. 20 years old. They should I'm... be living the best times of their lives right now. But instead, they're getting shot on some fucking beach in France. Yeah, it um, it's really reminiscent of like um, All Quiet on the Western Front. I mean, I know this came first. Well, no, because it was wasn't there an older movie? There was a All, All Quiet on the Western Front. Front was a book. That's also World uh, War One, I, I think. Yeah, but like it's reminiscent um, of that. Where like there, that was more about the propaganda. This didn't really do much on like the propaganda part of it, but it was about these young kids, um, you know, going out fighting for their country, and you know, fighting for, for what? And it, you know, it's hard to not acknowledge the fact that some of them like just instantly died. Like, like what were they doing? Like there was, um, I understand some of, some of this, some of these plans were messed up and they weren't expecting this much of a resistance at this, this point. It should have been a little bit cleared with like you were saying an air, uh, air raid should have like, yeah, they there was there were plans to do some airstrikes on the German fortifications the day before, um, but the whole operation kind of got a little went a little sideways. Yeah. Um, many of them missed their targets, um, or were ineffective in softening the German defenses. The worst was Omaha Beach. Yeah, um, it was the most heavily fortified beach. That's why the Americans that had the largest fighting force were sent to invade that beach. Uh, Juneau Beach was, I believe, uh, invaded by Canadian forces, and I forget the name of the beach that the British landed on. Mm -hmm. But um, there were only about five hundred and seventy something casualties on the Canadian front. Wow, about two thousand British soldiers. Um, but about estimates. Or somewhere between two thousand and five thousand Americans died yeah. on D Day. Yeah, so that's I mean that that was that's a ton of people in in a short very short small, amount of time. Short period of time, small area, you know, it was very concentrated. Um you know, at least on Omaha Beach. Uh so so uh moving forward, and yeah, talk the, about the attention injury. to detail is really great too. So like when Yeah. When we get past all the carnage of that scene, um, the movie to tones down a little bit there. Uh, it's still, there's still some really brutal violence uh, in some of the the la later scenes, but the worst of it's over after the first like 20 minutes. Um, but when they're they're up there and they're, there's two uh, German soldiers uh, trying to surrender, but they're actually speaking Czech, um, and they're saying that. Uh, please don't shoot 
we're che- I'm not German. I'm Czech. I didn't kill anyone. Um, but they get shot because the the Americans didn't understand what they were saying, and it's very hard to like snap out of that. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you 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 watch these people, uh, you know, shoot like would be POWs, um, and you're like, God, that's that's awful. Why do they do that? But you have to like put yourself in the context. You have barely survived an assault that saw like. 80% of the people you landed on the beach with get yeah. killed. It's kind of hard to like remember that these are also humans on the other side of it yeah. and not just like project your anger and vengeance onto them. Well, you know, in a way I think that they, they the soldiers probably, you know, were able to make it through was they didn't try to humanize them. Because how can you live with yourself if you how can you reconcile the fact of killing so many people with lives, with families. So I, and I think this was, and it's understandable. We do it all the time where we kind of dehumanize them and we just see them as like the face of the enemy. Like it's, you know, the, yeah. they're Nazi. They're just this, uh, self-generated image of our enemy. And it doesn't matter who they are. And this came up a couple of times cause it came up later when they were trying to kill the other guy. And it's almost like they're trying, they want to get revenge. Like they, they just killed, this guy, he may not have pulled the trigger, but he was a part of the group that pulled the trigger that just killed, you know, maybe 10, 10 of my friends. So yeah. when they go to surrender, it's like, no, fuck you. I'm not. And nobody's going to hold them accountable. That's the other thing. It's like, unless you really have a strong chain of command and a really moral and just chain of command that's like overseeing you immediately, you could easily see say oh he was he pulled a gun on me or something like that and they kind of you know we kind of explore that a little bit later in the movie there's a scene where um they've taken another german installment and there's one survivor and uh captain miller who's tom hanks's character uh lets him go and this upsets them because they they had suffered another casualty um trying to take this uh base and you know tom hanks it escalates where, you know, a gun's being pulled and, and someone's threatening desertion and it's very tense. And, you know, uh, Tom Hanks gives this really excellent soliloquy about, you know, how he's a teacher back home. You know, he's he teaches high school. He's a baseball coach. Um, you know, he's not a killer. And every time he kills someone, he feels a little bit further away from home. Yeah. And so if he can, if he doesn't have to kill someone he doesn't want to yeah and well especially when it's not like self-defense like this is yeah. just at this like point, this is a guy he's part... surrendered like you know yeah. he, he doesn't have any weapons or anything like that um just a lot of really great stuff like that um the trivia for this movie is pretty interesting i i have never actually i have some of this is is new to me um Steven Spielberg had cast Matt Davin as Private Ryan because he wanted an unknown actor with that all-American look. Uh, but Matt Damon would go on to win an Oscar for his work in Goodwill Hunting uh, but the year before this movie came out and became an overnight star. <laughs> so much for the unknown. Um, all the principal actors, except for Matt Damon, had to undergo several days of grueling army training. Uh, Spielberg spared Matt Damon from this so that the other actors would actually resent him and that would carry through in their performance. I mean, that's smart. That's really, that is really smart. Yeah. Um, the Omaha Beach scene was shot in South Ireland. Um, 
many D-Day veterans congratulated Spielberg on the film's authenticity, um, as did Scotty from Star Trek, um, who lost the middle finger of his right hand and was wounded in the leg during the war. He also participated in the Normandy invasion at Juneau Beach, where the 3rd Canadian Infantry Division led the attack. Um, he commended Spielberg for not... Uh, leaving out any details here's the fun one some critics complain that the scenes that the rangers where the rangers are throwing mortar rounds by hand at the german soldiers was unrealistic in fact medal of honor recipient charles kelly actually did this during a battle in italy in 1943 <laughs> i i have never seen that and i'm so shocked i haven't seen that done more often that was such a cool yeah cool scene. like I, that was really interesting <laughs> like you guys why didn't you lead with that like why didn't you use those to disable the tanks <laughs> you said we have a ton of mortars <laughs> oh we you got just... these m60s lying around why didn't you tell me we had those <laughs> you didn't tell me you had these super grenades that are like somewhat easy to throw and whatnot you know, what was cool was also like during that whole scene, uh, I think they're like th when they're throwing those mortars, um, they, they kind of harken back to when, when Tom Hanks, his character, Captain Miller was saying, I'm a baseball coach. Yeah. And he's, yeah, like, he's got a hell of an arm. And he's <laughs> fucking throwing dots. At people. <laughs> he's, he's hitting them right in the chest, right in the numbers <laughs> with these mortars. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, this uh, this did a lot of a lot of really interesting stuff, um, and th this movie's also like uh, parodied and sometimes like I've seen, I forgot what it was, um, but I remember some scene uh, where they were like, I think it was, oh, I know what movie it was. Oh my god, the VA had to set up a special eight hundred number to help the hundreds of former soldiers who were traumatized after seeing oh, the film. I mean that makes sense. I, I don't yeah. think we were like, we like paying too much attention to that. Fuck it, traumatized me. <laughs> I yeah. can't imagine if I had actually lived something like that. Like I, I'm just going back to like the beach scene and like, God, there were so many, so many good, gruesome scenes that were done so well. Like the the guy who just lost his arm, who's like shell shocked, looking around for his like freshly amputated arm. Yeah, and goes to pick it up. Oh, like that. <laughs> That's insane. Or when, or when uh, Captain Miller is trying to save like a medic or another character, and is pulling him by like the backpack straps or something like that. Yeah, and, and then he's just he's missing his lower half after. Yeah, you can tell he's struggling at first, and then the mortar shell goes off, and he's like, he's moving a lot faster because he's missing half of his body. <laughs> he's lighter, and then I think he realizes he's like, oh, whoa, whoa, oh, fuck. And like the scene where the medics, like they stop the bleeding when he gets shot in the head, and he's like, "Fucking give us a goddamn chance, damn it!" There were so many things that were like, "Oh fuck!" Like that just—you think you're down, you think you're like pummeled into the ground, but somehow it you're gets just lower. Like, it gets lower. Like they just like the guy gets shot in the helmet, it gets blocked. He takes off his helmet. He's like, "Holy shit, I'm so lucky!" And then it gets domed again. It's like, "Oh fuck!" Yeah. If you just kept your helmet on. Yeah, and this, and uh, there's a companion piece to this movie. Uh, it was an HBO miniseries called Band of Brothers. Um, two of the best World War II pieces of media. Um, this movie, surprisingly, did not win Best Picture in 1998, 
Um, it was one of the most controversial decisions in the history of the Academy Awards. It lost out to Shakespeare in Love, which is a movie that not a lot of people talk about anymore. Um, and that is, uh, that is speculated to be because noted sex pest Harvey Weinstein, which was the producer of Shakespeare in Love, um, lobbied very aggressively with the Academy voters um, wow. that year. Yeah, uh, it's one of the biggest Oscar snubs in history, in my opinion. Uh, right up there with Robin Williams not winning Best Actor for Dead Poets Society in 1992. Um, that was also bullshit. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this this movie is very powerful. The characters are very uh, memorable. They're not... They're sort of... Like, they have a major defining character trait, but they're not one note. Um, you know, and they interact with each other in ways that are, are very believable and like you can empathize and, 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 you know, kind of relate to the, the very differing opinions of these people. Cause the mission, I guess we should kind of like refocus the premise. So in the D-Day invasion, um, two of the Ryan brothers are killed. Um, and another one had been kia earlier in a campaign in Africa, I believe. Um, and they were about to send the mother all three letters. Um, and there's another really powerful scene where um, the the car shows up outside the house and you see like a, a GI kind of come out of, out of the car and the mom knows instantly what's up and just falls to her knees on the porch. Yeah. Um, but they discover there's a fourth Ryan brother who is potentially still alive and um, inspired by a quote by Abraham Lincoln that uh, is moving in the first scene it's used, but is extra emotionally gut-punching the second time it's used. Um, they they decide, Brian Cranston also shows up in this movie. Oh, yeah. he's, he's the right. colonel there. A lot of like really famous actors or would go on to do a lot more work like baby Vin Diesel's in this movie. Um, uh, obviously yeah, Matt right. Damon, Paul Giamatti, Tom Hanks, uh, obviously in this movie as well. Ted Danson has a bit role in this movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of like really good actors as you would expect from a Spielberg project, especially when he was kind of at the height of his powers at this time. And, um, just like you can really empathize with a lot of these so characters because they're being sent to to get this this one guy and send him home and a lot of them are like what makes this guy so fucking special why does he get to go home because his brothers died you know i just saw all my friends die on that fucking beach back there um so you can like really feel the anger and resentment and some of them have different attitudes towards war like the translator is not a combat guy and uh you know he's he's very hesitant to to take any action in combat and that leads directly you can kind of sympathize with that for a little bit but i lost all sympathy for him in the the final scene where his yeah. inaction directly led to like three deaths of his squad mates it's like i understand you don't want to kill anyone but you're going to let your friend including the guy on the squad you were closest to die and you're not even going to offer to help yeah that was that was really i was so 
this was, I think, my first time seeing this fully. Like, I was telling her last night, I'm pretty sure I've seen chunks of this movie because I know this was probably a movie my dad would put on and I would sit down and watch bits and pieces because there were, like, scenes that I really, really remember um, pretty specifically. So, but this guy, you know, he's a translator. He's um, a navigator or some of that. Like he, he, yeah, map maker or something map, like that. Map stuff and translating so I was like, I mean, this guy is brought over. He's not here for combat, but they need him for this mission. Because like, he speaks you, you French. Probably and came over thinking you're not gonna see combat, or you're gonna see very little. Yeah, he says they know? haven't held a weapon since basic training, and it's like, yeah, well, yeah. you're in a fucking war zone, dude. Yeah, <laughs> we need you. Like your your country needs you. You know, it may get a little dicey out there, but we'll protect you. And it comes down to the fact that, you know, I think the the, the reason why they all stay there, because they all could have lived. If they really wanted to, they you know, Matt Damon's character decided to stay and not abandon his platoon. Instead, they all, they all stayed there with him. And I was thinking, I'm like, oh, shit. He's like, so either, either one of two things, because I didn't know what the ending of this was going to be. Either one of two things is going to happen. Them yeah, staying is gonna I got result. to that point and I was like, all right, I know not everyone makes it out of there, but I forget who makes it and who doesn't. Yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, fuck, like either they're all going to die and this is going to be a story about whoever like and I thought for a second, I thought the guy in the beginning of the movie, the old guy was like the translator. And I'd be like, I will be so fucking pissed if the translator that let the let the guy die, let his <laughs> friends die. Because of his inaction, um, is the guy at the end? But no, it, it it wasn't. But whatever. It was it was Private Ryan, yeah. So I was like, I was like, okay, I'm like, oh, are they all gonna fucking die? Are they like all just gonna get wiped out? And I guess like the the heartwarming aspect of this was the fact that them staying bought enough time for reinforcements to come and hold that bridge. Like if they weren't there, that's like half that, like half the people in that platoon whatever who and they would have all just been wiped out you know that mother would have lost all of her sons at once the bridge would have been taken and it would have been harder to push back on uh the germans at that point so th- them staying had a actually a significant impact on their um operation there yeah um, like their the, their uh, their action kind of let them continue the normandy breakout uh because yeah. they were able to hold the town long enough for reinforcements to arrive and establish a firmer foothold yeah so so knowing that i'm like oh shit they're all gonna probably die and i'm like so you're wondering how are these characters that we've come to enjoy how are they gonna go you know and most of them go with like valiant efforts pretty heroic especially my favorite which is the sniper uh, he was my favorite character. Yeah. yeah um, you know, he goes out and in a literal blaze of glory, uh, you know, yeah. taking out a bunch of Germans before the fucking tank blows up the fucking bell tower. And yeah. you like they they show they show it. They cut to um, the perspective on the ground where they just watch the bell tower go up and you can see the look of fucking grief come over the face of everyone who, who sees that. Yeah. And I think you have probably one of the hardest scenes to watch was um, what's his name? I gotta I gotta pull up the cast. 
um, when the when the two guys he's, they're, they have the thirty millimeter gun and they run out of ammo and they're, they're, this is a, a really good spot that they're in. Um, it's a good vantage point and they're able to like shred uh, the advancing Germans, but they run out of ammo and the translator was supposed to be the um, kind of resupply guy, the runner. Um, yeah. And, and he, he fucking down. ran. He ran away yeah, he, from everyone who could have used yeah, he his fucking away. help. He, I mean, he he grabbed a couple. He did a couple times, and then and then when things got hot, he he broke down and he hid uh, and he stopped. So that sucked. And because they waited so long, they were able to advance up to their position and kind of sneak upstairs. Uh, the one other guy who he was with uh, got shot in the neck and went down. But then the other guy. He killed them both except for one guy who came up. And so he started like a fist fight with them and it was really close. And then he pulled out the knife. He eventually wrestles the knife away from him and he gets stabbed and they, and they really this, just let it sink in. Oh, it, and, and the German guy saying, shh, shh, shh. And like for a second there, it was almost like, I, I don't know if I, if you could, it almost felt like the German was like, I don't know, feeling remorseful for like taking this life in such well, a personal way. It's it's yeah, it's very different. So like if you shoot someone from like, you know, 30 yards or whatever, that's yeah. a fairly impersonal way to kill yeah. someone. But you have to push that knife into the guy. Like that's yeah. slow. He's screaming in agony. You're watching the life drain from his eyes. It hits different. I'm trying to. Oh, oh, it's uh, Adam Goldberg is the actor, I believe. Yeah, Adam yes. Goldberg, the, uh... um, who's the the actor who is um, who's playing the, the one Jewish guy in the on the, in the platoon, and um, he gets this knife slowly stabbed into him, and you can, and the the resupply guy was on the stairs. I'm like, you have a gun. I'm like, is he gonna walk up a few more steps and shoot him? But he's like crippled. And he lets him fuck it. He holds his hands up when the guy who just killed this. And the thing was that um, the the guy that the German had just killed was like the guy that the resupply guy was closest with on the squad. And he did nothing to save him. He let that guy walk down the stairs. And at the end of the day, that guy also shoots Captain Miller. And he had another opportunity to stop him because there's a point where they've the Germans have advanced the bridge. They're going to attempt to blow the bridge, but the guy who had the demo cord gets fucking shot. Um, but the, the Germans have taken their position, and resupply guy is hanging out to the side of this. He's got a clear shot to take out all those fucking Germans, and he just sits there. And we're supposed to feel like he's heroic because he he gets in the way of the retreat finally and pulls a gun on them. And he he finally, you know, two murders too late, shoots the guy uh, who stabbed his friend and shot Captain Miller. (laughs) I'm sorry, but like he doesn't he doesn't redeem himself of his final action there. Like his inaction uh, directly led to the death of. Uh, two, arguably three members of the company that would have been very useful in that final push. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, it's, it, it's it was really it was very frustrating. But I think that's the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that yeah, yeah. That's the the whole. 
aspect of it is you got this guy who's, you know, salvation is like around his neck. Like the, the, the chain of bullets is right there. Like if they had that, it would be, maybe they, yeah. So that was a really tough, that whole scene was really tough to watch towards the end. Once it, once they like realize that a lot of the movie is tough losing. to watch. There's not a lot yeah. of the movie that's easy to watch. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and and they do a good job with like adding in like the that like specific kind of like battlefield levity. You know the the camaraderie that you see. Yeah, the human with. moments. Yeah. So, like when they're trying to find that that little levity, that little little humor that they can with um with with moments that happen in the battlefield. You know, like you know, give me your gum. Let's have a cigarette. Like <laughs> this and that. Um, trying to find entertainment where he can telling stories on, about the captain's past or, or like what yeah. they did so it's yeah like telling the story about like the one guy tells a story about how his mom works and i guess in a like a bra shop yeah. and the building <laughs> super his wife shows up and she's got these giant tits that he's convinced her to try to squeeze into this bra that's way too small for her <laughs> He tells a story about how he's got this giant heart on. She notices, he's like, when you're out there in combat and you see something that you don't like, you need to fix your home, think of these. <laughs> Straight to the boobs. Uh, you know, and the story Private Ryan tells about his brothers, you know, how they snuck in on the oldest brother um, with a really ugly girl in the barn and how the barn almost blew down. You know, stuff like that. That's where they in- inject some some lighter moments like there's not comedy per se like there's some jokes and like tom hanks's delivery delivery on some things is comedic um like when he recruits the uh the translator and he's got all his his bags of stuff he's like good news is you don't need this (laughs) he throws the bags down but you will need that (laughs) pointing to the helmet (laughs) (laughs) and like he like he's good nature with him like he's not he's not like he could have been, he could have like taken that character in such like a hard ass way and be like, "I'm gonna be the cruel captain who keeps like a tight ship," but he like, it makes so much sense that he's a teacher. Yes. Because of the way he like he. My uh, my girlfriend. His guys. When we were watching, my girlfriend was like, um, "I had a teacher that was like just like that <laughs> in yeah. middle school or high school or whatever." I mean, yeah, and he's smart. He knows how to. He knows how to defuse a situation. He knows how to, how to command and lead without. Yeah, being... I mean, there's there's a reason he got the rank of captain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's very good, very skilled at it. So that was that was awesome. Um, and also, Tom Hanks had the advantage in real life of having already trained for war scenes uh, with uh, Forrest Gump. Mm. Uh yeah, and stuff like that. So it's it's um it's a classic. Um really really good movie. Not one to watch if you are uh feeling down. <laughs> like it's not it's not an it's uplifting not a, movie. It's, it's not a pick me up. <laughs> also it's you know, I I even think it'd be probably hard for current vets probably to watch, you know. Yeah. Um if you're someone who's sensitive to violence, this is not the movie for you as good as it is. Because um, I mean, combat has changed, but what has not changed is like the feeling of loss and the 
the the feeling you probably get when you lose a comrade who is you know right there right yeah and it really right kind of it colors like why you know like you get it after watching a movie like this you get why there was a geneva convention and why they tried to like civilize war a lot after this yeah. particularly with the flamethrowers flamethrowers have been outlawed in in combat operations since world war ii and you can see why because it's it's really it's a it's a startling image when they shoot the flamethrower into the bunker and the flame shoot out the side and then seconds later you see bodies on fire like jumping out of the the windows to try to save themselves um yeah really 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 tough stuff but it's a good movie i it's an important movie i i think it's in, again in my opinion it's the best war movie ever made um it really shows why war sucks and no one should ever want to go to war or glorify war um and uh in my opinion it's not on my list upstairs of the on the poster of the top 100 movies of all time but in my opinion this is easily one of the 100 best movies ever made yeah yeah i can definitely see that yeah that's a solid statement and probably definitely true i think i this is moving this was um not only was it like you know just action for the sake of action it was an important historical retelling it was also um I think a well acted and a well written movie. Yeah, well acted, well written. The action is so, very, very good, very gritty, very real and visceral. Like you yeah. feel the action more so than a lot of movies of this nature. Because, like, because, like, it, ask yourself: Could this movie rely without the action? And like, I think it could stand on the acting. And yeah, the, it's it's like two hours alone. and fifty minutes. Like, if you cut out all the battle scenes, you probably trim like an hour out of the movie, and I think yeah. the movie still works and is still really good. Yeah, yeah, it's very well done. Yep, uh, there's a reason Spielberg has the reputation he does, even if his output lately hasn't been the greatest. Um, when he was in his prime, boy howdy, was he ever really good? Um, and I think that's going to wrap it on episode 401, uh, first episode of, of 90s month this, this year. Uh, I believe next week is Good Burger and possibly with some thoughts on Good Burger 2. Um, that's a movie that I can pretty much recite from memory. Uh, but uh, that's going to wrap, wrap it up again here. Um, so until episode 402, uh, be well, stay safe and part of like 1995. Bye-bye.